Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. Australian Open in the books. AZ here with seven-time major champion, Mats Vlander, former number one in the World International Tennis Hall of Famer. Johnny Levine will be joining us a little bit later in the show, and we'll start, Mats, with so many different storylines that came out of this Australian Open. Here you're going into it, and you're thinking, well... The number one player in the world, Alcaraz, isn't playing. That kind of hurts. Nick Kyrgios pulls out at the last minute. That kind of hurts. Uh, this is the first Australian Open that we've had without Ash Barty, so we don't have the women's defending champion in the draw. That hurts. And yet, there was no shortage of great stories, no shortage of great matches. Matt's the floor is yours. What's the big storyline? What's the takeaway from this tournament that you'd like to start with? <sighs> You know, Andy, it's great to be with you. It's great to be back home, I have to say. I thought, in general, it was a a very interesting tournament in terms of storylines. And in the end, to me, when you don't see the the one champion on the men's side, Novak Djokovic, be more threatened or more challenged than, than that, then it kind of, when the whole thing is over, it's disappointing to me. Um, it's disappointing because it's it's expected, but you just don't think he can play like that still for literally seven matches and play that well. And then you would think that the other guys are a little bit closer uh, than they appear. Because a couple of years ago, I believe it was uh, 2021, I asked Novak while I was working for um, Eurosport, uh, in an interview, I said, you know, these guys, Tsitsipas and Medvedev, they're a little taller, they're a little maybe stronger. They might be as fast. They might hit the ball harder. Um, what, what, what's your take on are they getting they're getting close? And he's like, Matt, let's be honest here. OK, they're not close. And I'm two years later. They're further away than they were two years ago, which is pretty unbelievable. And the main reason for that is not because of them, it's because of Novak. The way he's playing tennis today is just so carefree and good on literally every point he decides to do whatever he wants, and somehow it's working. I'm actually going to go out on a limb. I think he wins the calendar Grand Slam this year. I think he'd be as close as he was two years ago because he's, he's better now compared to the other guys during these two weeks than he was uh, two years ago when he won the Australian Open, which is unbelievable. And there are certainly fewer people out there that uh, that seem to be able to hurt him. You made one comment, Mats, which was you used the word carefree. And I would I would maybe push back on that a little. You're there. You're calling it. You're much closer than me. But the hitting. I mean, the just the sorry, Andy, literally the hitting of the ball. Right. Just the impact, the the. He slaps it or he rips it or whatever the word is uh, at times. And it's like, whoa, you can't really. It's kind of like that return against Roger Federer on match point at the U.S. Open in the semis. If you remember, Federer serves right. wide. Yeah. Novak yeah. kind of says to all of us without saying it, I'm putting words in his eyes. 
I am losing this on yeah. my. I am losing this. <laughs> right. I'm not letting Federer hit a volley here. It's done. Over. Yeah, yeah. And then he makes it, and that's kind of what he does so often. That's what I mean by carefree at right. hitting the ball. Because the confident determination that I saw from him on every single point and in every single rally yeah. was basically, uh, it seemed to be a function of exactly what you described and with what you were quoted on when you came out and you said that, you know, there was almost a, 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 an element of revenge in his mind based on what happened last year. Revenge against who? That doesn't really matter. But just he didn't come in like this, you know, this normal defending. He was the fourth seed, the fourth seed, a nine-time champion who's had and he's and he's the fourth seed. So that's a bit insulting. He's had to, you know, he hasn't played the thing in two years. So I just think there was a lot there for him to be able to glom onto and to be able to fuel his fire. And he was not going to be, there was, you know, you could talk about Carlos Alcaraz being in the draw. You could talk about Nick Kyrgios being in the draw. You talk about Roger Federer being in the draw, how he played in 2000. Nobody was beating Novak Djokovic in this tournament. It was like Georgia. I'll give it up to John Isner. It was like his Georgia Bulldogs in the national yep. championship when they beat TCU 65 to seven. Nobody was beating Georgia, and nobody was beating Novak Djokovic. He never talked now, about, though, Andy, he never talked about revenge, which is so interesting because that's where I am a little bit dumbfounded by his um, his whole uh, progress through the tournament. He never, ever got uh, upset. He never said they did the wrong thing. He just appreciated the support. So he was so mellow whenever that topic came up. But you would assume that there'd be revenge on his mind. You would assume. Well, as far as the, you used the word carefree earlier, and, and I'm now going to turn this over to the women's side. One person that did not play one carefree point, it didn't seem to me, was Arena Sabalenka. And what an incredible relief to the entire world of tennis, to yeah. watch her complete that, her first Grand Slam. I mean, and, and, and it, you you wanted it so bad for her. And, and as I said to you earlier when we were talking, and I said watching her play is like watching somebody trying to practice volcano management. It's literally <laughs> that explosive. And does the thing you know erupt all over herself like it has in the past? Or in this case, is she able to manage the hot molten lava that's flying out of her game and off of her racket. And in this case, she was able to do it and, um, and, and to, to finish off a very game and a very spry uh, Elena Rubakina the way she did when yeah. all, for all the world Rubakina was playing like the major champion that she is. Uh, how, how relieved were you as, as a commentator for Eurosport to see her cash in and get that championship? No, I was unbelievably relieved. I mean, it's one of the more heartwarming um, Grand Slam victories on either the men's side or the women's side in, in since I can kind of remember. Because someone that actually deserves one because of her, okay, so she erupted sometimes in the past, but, but her attitude has always been to fight to the right. last point, just like a Rafa or a Nova or whatever, or that of a great champion that is not going down uh, without um, without fire, so to speak. But I think the serve problems has completely changed her, um, the approach to tennis, and I think it's made her um, realize and approach it from a completely different way, which is it's much more mellow, much more methodical, 
Um, the team has stayed with her through everything. The coach even said that, you know what, I think it's better that I leave last year and, um, and then they worked it out somehow. So I think that that has really helped her in a very strange way. She did, we found out through analytics, uh, change her ball toss. It's about, so what would that be? About eight inches further left now than it was last year um, at the Australian Open. So that means she can put a little more topspin on it. The numbers for kick, uh, for topspin and slice were opposite. Last year was 70% slice and 30 topspin or kick. This year, complete opposite. And double faults went from 14 a match to four a match. Uh, unreturned serves went through the roof. So the improvement is unbelievable. But then still to be able to to um, to, to uh, come out with a victory. And she's great. She's so positive always in all interviews we do with her. So, yeah, it's the, it's the, be- the best thing that can happen for the women's game, for sure. There were a few shockers, though. Well, we'll get to those, but I'm not through with Sabalenka yet because I want to ask you now that we're on the on the back end of this and now that she's finally got that grand slam in her pocket, it would be foolish to think that she's going to suddenly become a player who is known for grinding and long points and long matches. I mean, she is a she is a blaster. She is a slugger and she is the biggest hitter on the tour. But Matt, does this win kind of give her license to maybe revisit some of the decisions that she makes and maybe be a little bit more willing to go for bigger targets and not to feel like, you know, they always talk about uh, Jimmy Connors always described Rafa as he plays every point like he's broke and, yeah. and Sato Lenka goes for broke all the time. And, and now that she's got this title and now that she's got, you know, a legitimate chance to end the year as the number one player in the world if you were in that coaching box, would you not try to see if you couldn't get her to maybe be willing to employ a, just at least a touch more patience along with those weapons of mass destruction that she takes to every match? I mean, yes, the answer for me as a, as an old tennis player would be yes, without a question. You, that's the way to go. But I did an interview for a French sports newspaper um, about Caroline Garcia's chances at the Australian Open. And I thought that, no, she's playing great. Obviously, she's one of the more dangerous players. But I think she can stay there and she'd be really dangerous if she incorporates a plan B, if necessary. And she came out and said, no, I disagree. What I need is a plan A+. plus." Okay. And a plus is what I'm hoping that, and what you are referring to, is what we are hoping that Sabalenka doesn't do. Uh, that she rather goes to plan A and then go to plan B. And plan B would then be play a little safer, just like a Serena Williams did through all these years. She was ripping the ball, but in the end, she knew she could play it safe if she had to. And it just relaxes you so much more, I think, when you're going for big shots, which is why Caroline Garcia didn't have a particularly good um, Australian Open, didn't play very well against Magdalinette, although she was a, a big surprise, of course, positive um, so that can happen. But um, I think that she, if she goes to plan B, if plan A doesn't work, I think she wins another major this year. And I think she wins another three or four in the next three or four years because I don't think she's afraid of Iga Schwantek. I don't think she's afraid of anyone. And that's a huge step in the right direction.
All right, I'm going to jump around a little bit tonight, Matt. Johnny's going to join us later, and I want to talk about the American men in the next segment because they came out like a house on fire, particularly in week one. But another guy who you know well that came out and just put on an absolute show and found the fountain of youth was Andy Murray. Yeah, He withstands a match point against Berrettini, he goes deep into the fifth, and then comes out and and and, and gets uh, – uh, from two sets to love down against Tanasi Kokonakis in front of that Australian crowd. And this guy ends up winning back-to-back five setters at, at what is he, 35-6 as well, right? What were your thoughts on Andy Murray? I got, you guys had to be smiling in the box. Oh, we were so excited. I mean, he literally, the first week belonged to Andy Murray. Right. Uh, the match against Berrettini was spectacular if you like tennis. Uh, Berrettini did not play a bad match at all. Um, and he had match point, and he had that easy little two-handed backhand that he's supposed to, and he's at the net, and I mean, the backhand he hit is, I, I would think that in his career, he's not going to hit anything worse than that. Was that on match point? Because I didn't see. Better research next time, buddy. <laughs> it was on match point for oh. Berrettini, and he just completely oh. yanked it in the middle of the net, but <laughs> yeah, of course, when you're there, it's tough, everything happens quickly. Andy Murray was at the net, but at the same time, um, Mari, I guess, got a bit lucky or not. Maybe that's what Mari does to people because Kokonakis in the second round had two sets to love and 5-2. Oh. 5-2, which is <laughs> unbelievable. And this now we're talking 2 o'clock in the morning. And he wow. turns that around and wins and ends it at 4 o'clock. Goes back to the hotel and cannot sleep. Cannot sleep at all. So he shows up on site at noon. And he and somebody asked him um, that I know, Tim Henman, actually, I can okay. say it. Sure. Uh, he asked him, on a text to Andy, he said, how are you feeling? How would you pull up? And he said, eh, good, actually. But I'm at the courts. I'm going to hit. Ivan thought it was important or necessary to hit a few balls. And then we showed some pictures. I mean, he's not moving. He's oh. not walking. He's not doing anything. So uh, the fact that he... Um, Again, against Roberto Bautista Agud in the third round. I mean, that he actually made that a close match too is just unbelievable. For me, I, I asked somebody, I told somebody, so, okay, so now imagine Andy Murray has didn't done this in two rounds. Novak Djokovic is the same age. Right, right. And he's the same age. And we don't think that's weird at all. And when you watch Andy Murray do it, it's like, whoa. Well, but the hip, the hip surgery. I know. He announced his retirement at the Australian Open how many years ago? I mean, the fact that he's out there, what, four or five years ago? Yeah. So, all right, let's go to break, Matt. And when we come back, I want to do a little lightning round because there were some amazing sort of one match or two match performances that I want to get to and get your thoughts on. Johnny's going to join us later. You're listening to KickServeRadio.com, the Aussie Open recap edition. AZ and Matt's Johnny will be joining us later. We're part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Please do not go away. Andy Zoden here, and I am joined by Ryan Burberry and Jessica Auerkirk. Ryan is the owner, and Jessica is the marketing director for Velocity Tennis. And it's very exciting because you guys have just come out with what has to be termed as a revolutionary new product. It is the Velocity Catalyst String. Ryan, it's biodegradable. I mean, I've never heard of biodegradable tennis string. Talk to me about it. Yeah, definitely. So it's the first uh, 100% biodegradable synthetic tennis string. So obviously, like natural gut, it's made from um, kind of cow intestines, so that that's biodegradable. But this is the first 
overarching synthetic string that's biodegradable, which is revolutionary. So Jessica, Ryan talking about cow intestines is probably why you are the marketing director. <laughs> and from a marketing perspective, biodegradable is one thing. But if I'm getting ready to go play an important tennis match, that may not be the main focus for me that day. Talk about performance of the string. We recently submitted Velocity Catalyst Biodegradable String to the playtesters at Racket Sports Industries Magazine, and they sent it out to, I believe, 50-plus players of all different levels and um, got them to test it, get their feedback. And what the playtesters found was that it was a very durable string, very um, spin-friendly, and had really good control. So it received high marks from the players in all those areas. Yeah, and we're doing uh, buy one, get two free sets at the original retail price just as an introductory offer. So if you try it out, you buy one set and you get two extra ones for either you or your friends. Get three for the price of one. You can't beat that. The website is VelocityTennis.com. This is Velocity, V-E-L-O-C-I-T-I. Thanks for being on with us, you guys. Good luck with everything. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention, tennis travel fanatics. Sarah Z here for Tennis Channel Podcast Network, reminding you to get to the 2023 BNP Paribas Open, held at the spectacular Indian Wells Garden on your destination list. The BNP Paribas Open is wonderful in terms of the type of tennis that's available, but the venue is spectacular. I have been to Wimbledon. I have been to the French Open. I have been to the U.S. Open. By far and away, Indian Wells, that is tennis in paradise, hands down. Tickets are hard to come by and they go fast. So you can go to bmpperrybawopen.com and get your tickets today. Like I said, they go fast and it is a place that you want to be and an event you will not want to miss. Tennis in Paradise, it is not just an expression, it is a reality. Welcome back, everybody. Aussie Open Recap Edition of KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Andy Zoden, and I am joined at the moment by the great Mats Vlander, three-time Australian Open champion. And Mats, the, the Americans, as I mentioned in, in the first segment, really did come out like a house on fire. I mean, you had amazing performances by Mackie McDonald taking out, albeit somewhat of an injured Rafa, still a, t- still a tall order and a great win for Mackie. You've got... Jensen Brooksby, you know, putting Casper Root over his knee in pretty unceremonious fashion. You had, uh, you know, uh, Ben Shelton come out of the gate getting great wins. Sebi Corda coming out of the gate playing great tennis. What was a what was a better and more unlikely win for you, Mackie McDonald over Rafa or Sebi Corda straight sets over Medvedev? Yeah, hard to compare because the, to to be. Uh... Honest, Mackie McDonald uh, was beating Nadal while Nadal was completely healthy. Uh, 
Right. That, that's for sure. He was beating him, and that match was not going to turn around. And the main reason is McDonald has unbelievable timing, moves really well, is so calm, and then the tennis balls were not bouncing very high. So that's a perfect situation for him to play Nadal. Because in terms of ball striking and, and being smooth, so to speak, in Mackenzie McDonald is unbelievable. You know, that real quick, though, it seemed like Rafa – gave Mackey more trouble once he was injured and he just started going yeah. for it on every, that, that became a little tricky for Mackey and the way he sort of weathered that storm of Rafa just going for winner after winner. I thought he managed that third set pretty well. No, no, he did for sure. He did for sure. I mean, it was kind of ine- inevitable, but, but then again, not really because you saw the Rafa against Taylor Fritz in Wimbledon and that nearly exactly right. the same thing happened. And he pulled that one out somehow um, by making Taylor Fritz play worse and worse and worse. So, yeah, Ma- no, Mackenzie McDonald, he deserves all the credit for what he did, for sure. Sebastian Korda against Daniil Medvedev was obviously not as big a surprise okay. that he beats him. But the way that he played, I thought, was very encouraging because he was hitting quite a few slice backhands, he was coming to the net a little bit. He was really trying to mix it up the way that you think you should or can against Medvedev because everything seems to be coming back, not with a lot of pace, not with a lot of spin, but just consistently there. So, yeah, doing a lot of things to the ball. But that's so hard to do. And Sevi did, Sevi Korda did that for the whole match, literally. Uh, he was creating different situations and playing points differently. And uh, it, it showed me much more than what we have talked about, which is Seb, Sebastian Korda is an unbelievable ball striker. He reminds me of Todd Martin, I think I've, I've told you guys. But he showed another side to him in the whole open, to be honest. But against Medvedev, that's the eye-opener. Uh, he was a, a breath of fresh air. The Americans in general, I'm not sure what it was or what it is, maybe being far away from home. And we are so many, and there's no pressure somehow. I'm not sure, but they surely look like a, a, a nation that might get a Grand Slam champion in the next five years. Well, Korda, just to add one one quick comment, validates the win over Medvedev with a brilliant fifth set tiebreak win over Huber Hirkoch, who, yep. let's face it, that's you know that's a top ten guy, and he did it in. Uh, in, in, in spectacular fashion in that in that tiebreak. And he also, as far as I'm concerned, may have had one of the best comments into a microphone in the entire Australian Open when they were talking to him about his father winning the tournament and his mother being ranked top 25 in the world and his sister Nellie being the number one golfer in the world and his sister Jessica being a top 10 or 15 golfer in the world. And he said, so basically what you're saying is I'm the worst athlete in my family. Yeah. And uh, it was a it was a great comment because he seems like kind of a, you know, like a, a little bit of a, of a straight line kid. And he, he makes that comment and he broke everybody up. So he's got personality and uh, and, and, he, and he's got plenty of game. But again, to your point, Matt, we saw so much, you know, Jensen Brooksby, I, I guess I have to ask you, does it show more for what we may expect from Brooksby this year or does it maybe lend to Casper Ruud coming off of a great year, a couple of major finals, and maybe having a little bit of a pullback in his results and not catapulting upward, but maybe maybe just pulling back ever so slightly? You know, he actually told us in an uh, interview uh, that I do for, um, again, for the, for the sports TV channel that I work for in Europe, 
he said that his year ends after the Australian Open. Okay. Yeah, so he went to play the exhibitions in Latin America ah. with Nadal, right? So he never took a break. Okay. So he had it did not much of a preseason, but he never stopped playing. And he said, he actually, I'm looking at it because his year was very long and he felt that um, after the Australian Open would be a more, in his mind, in his mind. So I don't know exactly how that would work, but I'm not worried about Casper at all. He, he's very grounded and I think that he... He's obviously going to have a chance at the French, but I think even on hard courts, it's not a problem for him. And then two guys that I thought really had great breakout tournaments and ended up playing one another were Tommy Paul and and Ben Shelton. And I think we see very different things from both of those guys. And I don't think anybody would accuse Tommy Paul of not having a big game off the ground, but certainly if we're going to categorize those two for why they win, it seems like Shelton wins with a monster serve and huge weapons and and just I mean this kid's got got a pair of onions on him. I mean he goes for it. And Tommy Paul really seems like he has matured into a player who is playing you know airtight tennis, Matts. I mean he really he had to be completely right at all times against Ben Shelton to be able to uh, to disarm that kid a little bit. But I think both players come away. You have to feel great about 2023 for Tommy Paul and Ben Shelton. Oh, well, I mean, absolutely brilliant. Uh, everything about that match was brilliant. The, um, the handshake, the cool down together in the gym afterwards, laughing with each other's coaches. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. Ben Shelton, Andy, we need we need five hours to talk about Ben Shelton. Yeah, there's a I lot mean, that's there. that's the most positive thing that happened. If you're going to talk about American tennis, I'd say that to have a lefty that's uh, that young and that comes from that background with a cup with the, his father, Brian, obviously former pro. When you have that much fun and you're competing that hard, I cannot see how this is not going to go straight to the top. Whether it's one in the world or five, I'm not sure. But I think that he's going very, very quickly to the top uh, and will have good results. Now, consistency-wise, I'm not sure. That's hard to say with injuries, but he's a massive game. When we come back, we'll be joined by Johnny Levine, and I definitely want to get his take because, as you and I both know, he is one happy camper when Novak Djokovic wins a tournament like this. So let's get his take. And then, of course, we've got Johnny's tournament is going to be coming up you know, sooner than we think, because we've got Indian Wells and, and we've got, you know, the uh, the Arizona Tennis Classic, which is now a super challenger. So there are, help me out with the points, Matt, 175 points in that challenger now. I believe is that so, what they yeah. went to? And there's only three of those on the calendar, one of which is on U.S. soil. It will be in Phoenix. It will be Johnny's tournament. So we'll talk to him about that, as well as some of his uh, thoughts on what he saw down under. When we come back on kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, Johnny joins me and Matt's when we come back, so don't go away. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
guys, Sarah Z here with a kick serve, quick serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say more advanced or more experienced in our life, how about just body weight and body maintenance? That for me is becoming, I, I think, tougher by the day. Boy, you're not alone. And along with our sports performance line, Body Fuse also offers a full weight loss line. And we have an, a fantastic product called Purify, which kickstarts your weight loss. It's a GI detox. It's a water cut as well. So it's really great for bloating, irregularity, um, and people love it to kickstart a weight loss program. And then with that, we couple a product called Blackwall Shredded, kind of a cool name. It's a daytime thermogenic um, and also has a nootropic in it. It's not super high stimulant, but it's just a, a good mental focus. And it just basically kickstarts your metabolic rate. So that's a daytime thermogenic. We also offer a nighttime thermogenic called Midnight Burn. And this has melatonin and GABA as well as a thermogenic. So it kind of continues that metabolic rate uh, bump, if you will. So that these three products are, are sort of like the magic trinity. I don't want to say magic pills because there's no such thing, but midnight burn at night, blackwall shred it in the day, uh, and then purify to kind of kickstart your system and clean out your GI tracts. And in addition, purify along with the detox, it allows us to start absorbing nutrients a little bit more efficiently as well. So those three products are just a fantastic trio and very, very popular. Fantastic. And one more time, Body Fuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the KickServe Radio Boys. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com final segment, Aussie Open Recap. And we are, as promised, joined by Johnny Levine. And Johnny, I'm going to start with you this segment because your man got it done. Novak Djokovic wins his 22nd. What size did you order in the jacket that has the number 22 on it that I know that you were probably the first guy to order one of those for yourself? But that was last year's model, guys, wasn't it? it was. Wasn't that what 22 stood for? No, it was for 22 majors. Oh, shoot. No, of course I know that. Okay. Imagine how clever Novak is. He, 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 <laughs> he whatever, killed two birds with one stone. Anyway, Johnny, go for it. <laughs> Here's Johnny. Well, I was I, I was not a fan of the jacket. Okay. <laughs> I just cannot believe that they would go to the lengths of printing that jacket and having it there ready for him. I just thought that was a little presumptuous, but maybe bad luck, but it didn't turn out to be bad luck. He but, said he didn't know about it, but Johnny, oh, in all seriousness, isn't that the kind of move that lends toward why Novak is to some extent, let's call it polarizing. Well, I don't know. I mean, doesn't, didn't Federer put 20 on the back of his shoes? There you go. The last, you know, so I, I don't know. And if he didn't know about it, he but, put but, 15 on his Wimbledon tracksuit because he uh, was beating Pete's 14. Right, right. Johnny Matz has put Novak on winning the calendar slam this year. Do you concur? Wow, that's a tall order. I mean, it, when you think back that he was one match away 
from winning the Grand Slam in 21. And the way Medvedev is playing now, he's 12 in the world. I mean, these guys just get so hot and then they get kind of like people get scared and this guy's, you know, unbeatable. And it's just incredible that he lost that match and the pressure gets so great. And it took him out that day that I, I, I don't know if he can do it. I don't think so. I think it's still too tough, but I'd like to see it happen. But uh, it'll be interesting to, to watch the, the rest of the slams this year. Matt, to Johnny's point there, you see these guys get hot for spells. You know, what's happened to Dominic Team, for instance? And, and we see these guys that, that reach the pinnacle. Is this next generation potentially going to shed light on the big three that's even more historically impressive when it just kind of shows how hard it is to sustain that level of excellence that these guys had. I mean, we're looking at Federer's 20 grand slams all of a sudden, like, eh, two guys have won 22, 20. So, I mean, that's 20. He's unbelievable. Like, and now you got a guy like Alcaraz who's not even able to go out and compete in the next slam after winning one. I mean, does it just show how much of a toll getting to number one or even becoming a major champion takes on you? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I have no idea how um, uh, how Novak, what he's thinking or how he's approaching each day because obviously there is, like he says himself, he always had big dreams, big goals. I'm a confident person. Uh, I always wanted to do great, thought I would. All That's all good if you do great, which he has. So it's like, oh, okay, look at him. Um, but... I think that the uh, younger guys, they are fighting for their life. Rublev beats Holger Rune. Huge match for that generation because it's really Rublev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Nick Kyrgios. They're kind of out there in the middle of uh, of the young guns that are so exciting and then the old guns. Um, I think that Novak, through this win, eliminated about half of the locker room because the way that he's hitting the ball – not the way that he's physically hitting the ball, the way that he has decided in his mind how he wants to play tennis, serving, going for big serves, going for aces, hitting forehands, what, 10 kilometers harder than he did two years ago. I think he's taken away the style that is Alex Diminar and Andrei Rublev. And they are the two that are the best at that style. But if you suddenly put guys that are not quite as good as them and they hit the ball the same way, they're not winning more than two games a set every single day of the year if Novak decides to play as as free as he did at the Australian Open. I think that there's only 10 guys that can beat Novak in the world, and that would be a horrible day for Novak right now. Johnny, Matt was quoted, and we always like to refer to his quotes when we see them coming out of Eurosport and so on and so forth, and he said that he equated – Novak's 10 majors to Rafael Nadal's 14 French Opens because everybody can play on a hard court. Not everybody necessarily can play on clay. So I guess the question I have for you is, does that then diminish Matz's three Aussie Opens and really it only counts as like one major in, in our, yes, you know, as far as we're concerned? You mean because it was on grass? Oh, that's one true. Of two of them. Two of them, two I believe. Them. Were. Two of them. Yeah. yeah. Two of them were on grass. Yeah, I guess we still have to give it to him. You can't be serious, man. Uh, it's crazy 
This is a crazy topic because I have disagreed with Matts, even though he's a winner of three French Opens. I've always thought, maybe it's because <laughs> I'm an American, I've always thought that the toughest slam to win is the French because of the grueling way that the points are played there um, and just just the you know playing the Europeans who are just they never miss it's just such a grind but what to Matt's point you know the hard court is the true tennis court I think of when you think of tennis and the I entire think world in the entire yeah, world and I so, agree I mean when Matt's brings that point into it I I think he you know he, it makes a lot of sense and I think that would resonate with most people um I still believe that this 14 Frenches is one of the greatest uh, sporting, you know, records in of, of any sport. I, I just so it's just so crazy when you think that Novak has 10 Aussies, but I mean, Nadal has four additional slams at the French. It's just so mind boggling what we're seeing. And we're so fortunate to be watching and witnessing these two players and having been able to see Federer, it's just so crazy. These three guys. So I, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys for advice. I thought of this a long, uh, a lot in the last two weeks. The, the goat race has to be done with. It's not a goat race. It has to be called a boat race. Best of all time, (laughs) not greatest because greatest. You cannot ever, say that anyone was greater for the game than Roger Federer. That's impossible. But clearly, Djokovic will go down as someone who was better than Federer. But greatest is too big a word to give to one of those three guys to me. So the reason I thought of it is like Novak Djokovic is in the sailboat. Okay? And he's sailing down the down the river. He's, he sails into the wind, sails with the wind. Stefano Tsitsipas looked like he was in a sailboat going into the current. Like there's no, he's not going anywhere. He and that's what that what's surprising to me is Novak just floats through the draw and these matches, and then you see Tsitsipas and these guys, and they're out there and they're they're even sweating more. They look like they're more tired. So Novak, nothing changes. His hairstyle, his clothing, nothing, and that's he's so stoic right now, and he still gets irritated at times like in the finals with his box, where apparently the the rumor has it that he kind of asked Goran to, you know, maybe you should step out for a little bit because I'm kind of fuming right now. And then if you heard the comment in the speech afterwards, Novak was very uh, precise, I guess, about, I know I'm not easy to deal with all the time. And Goran is like shaking and said, yeah, we know, oh, Novak, we know you're not <laughs> easy to deal with. We're expecting it. So, is that how you win 22 and much probably another four or five because you are so on edge all the time? I, I guess that's the difference between them and the generations that have come before them. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comment on that because I've watched both of you guys play, and I think what you were both really good at, and it was a conversation match that you and I had, and it's pretty general, and this is not any kind of you know incredible revelation in terms of what makes a great tennis player tick, but both of you guys absolutely without question hated losing more than you reveled and enjoyed your winning moments. But what you both did a great job of in watching you play was not necessarily letting your opponent see how furious you were with an error or with something that wasn't going 
your way. And that is what I think these great champions are all about. I mean, I just think that they despise losing and that's what makes them tick. They certainly enjoy the win, but it's the, it's the, the absolute, I cannot handle losing under any circumstances. That is what separates them from the rest of the sport. Johnny, I saw that from you as a college tennis player, and there's no doubt in my mind that that is what you were thinking. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's, uh, well, you can't put me in even close to any of the, these types of, uh, players. In your own way though. I mean, you got to a hundred in the world. I mean, sure I can. Well, what I find just so fascinating about these three players and Federer who love, have just such a love for the game more than anyone I've ever seen just enjoy tennis. But, you know, when you think of, you know, how difficult it is out there and the grind and, I know they have the luxuries of travel and things like that, but, you know, these are just such wars. I mean, like Matt said, Novak beating Rublev, he destroyed Rublev, you know, and he really handled Sitsipas. This guy is at a level that's just so crazy, and he's still, I mean, these guys don't need to be doing this, right? I mean, most guys that get to this level, there's a point where they say, you know what, I've done so much. I can ride into the sunset, but they still have that same fight like they did when they were 18, 19 years old. That's the most incredible thing to me. Nadal and Djokovic right now fighting like they were like they're 20 years old for these titles. And they are, you know, multi, I mean, they're, they're, they're worth probably $500 million, I'm sure in that range. And they just still have that hunger. That's what to me is just, it's just the true champion that that plays for not the 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 glory or anything they're just playing because they they are so passionate and winning is so means so much to them like you say Andy and it's it's very rare i think part of it matt's and you can attest to this is you know you look at the tom brady situation and and you know the guy thought about retiring at the end of last year and came out. Or, don't you think to some extent these guys are like, yeah, I think I'm going to spend some time with my family. And then they do that for about two weeks. And then the family says, nah, keep playing. Yeah. Get right. out of here. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Get out of here. <laughs> um, you know, I'm trying to think of another player that, uh, that you can compare. And, and you, if you go to the women's side, I would say Martina Navratilova yeah. was very, very similar in everything that she did. Uh, on and off the tennis court in terms of training and the way that she was pumped up for matches, even into her 50s, playing mixed with uh, Mike Bryan, I believe. They won the US Open. I think Open. it was Bob. Was it Bob? Okay. I believe so. Okay. But she was in her 50s, I think. But the fire you saw, and, and, and actually still, when you watch her play uh, at the Legends tournaments, in like Wimbledon, she's right. not that she needs to win matches, but she's she's there's a fire, there's something like I I want to prove a point to myself, or or this is not good. I need to be better. Like that, per, the pursuit of perfection is what they're perfect at to me, because you, they're never going to be perfect, obviously. But they are so good at every little detail when it comes to practicing, not practicing, how they approach each match, and they're not the three most talented tennis players of all time. There is no chance that that, that such a small coincidence can happen that the three most talented tennis players all happen to be born within five years when this sport has been professional for 50 and, and played 
for obviously more. There's no chance of that. So what is it? It's mindset. It's all mindset to me. It's tennis knowledge. Did you know that in the first set tiebreaker against Tsitsipas, both players hit the ball on average seven miles slower of both sides compared to what they did the whole set getting to the tiebreaker? So Djokovic goes down to lockdown. What these guys have to be better at is playing tennis when they're tight and nervous and when it means absolutely everything. That's what they have to get good at because you can't be good enough consistently enough if you close your eyes and just rip the ball, which is what it seems like they think they can do. But that doesn't work against Novak Djokovic or Rafa Nadal. So Rublev, Deminar, they have to learn how to do other things, right? And one thing is not coming to the net. One thing is learn how to play at a slower pace, just like Victoria Azarenka did to Jesse Pegula. Jesse Pegula was complaining, the balls are slow, I'm playing terribly. Yeah, but you're playing a former world number one and she's won a couple of majors. Do you know what she does for a living? She makes you worse. And that's what Novak does. He makes them worse while we still only see what he does well. And that's the biggest difference between the top players. And it's amazing that three of them came at the same time. Now the question, you know, he brings up Pagula. What about Goff? Where are we now with, with her development? Because I, I would say that you'd probably have to consider this result uh, to a little bit of a temporary setback from the trajectory that she was on, particularly winning in Auckland before the tournament with the expectations being what they were. And then uh, I don't even remember who she lost to at this point. So I think if I may jump in, Jelena Ostapenko, you Ostapenko can got her right. I every wonder, possible right. excuse why you're losing to Jelena Ostapenko, I think, because she literally just rips the ball as hard as she can. And she, I don't even know if she watches it and she can do it. So I think that he, this is a good opponent for her to lose to because it's kind of, oh, well, what are you going to do? But yeah, I agree. The way she lost, it's again, it's the serve and the forehand that we keep talking about. Before we go, Johnny, we talked before we went to break. Uh, and it's, I think it's that time of year where we've got to make sure that people, whether they're going to Indian Wells or not, or maybe they thought they were going to and that didn't work out and they want to see some great pro tennis in the desert, that the Arizona Tennis Classic is back at the Phoenix Country Club. It's the 13th through the 20th of March. And here we are, as as we record this show, we're just easing into February. And if you're not making arrangements pretty soon, you're going to miss the boat on one of those. Talk about what's going on in the desert. And I mean Phoenix style, because this, this challenger is suddenly a bigger deal than it has been in, in previous years. Yes, it's now a Challenger 175, which means the prize money is up about 37% from last year. And um, the points, the, the winner of the event will get 175 points, obviously in a 250, which is a tour level event. Uh, events. Those are 250 points. Uh, we used to be at 125. So it is a big jump. And we're doing a lot of planning, a lot of preparations. We're super excited. We're sold out on all of our courtside boxes, which is tremendous. And, uh, you know, we've started selling tickets online. Um, you can get to that link looking at our website. But what's the website, Johnny? ArizonaTennisClassic.com. All right. So you got Matt Svelander coming down. 
We are hoping that we we're, we we're hoping us. we're hoping he would not give you a straight answer. Yes, I'm coming down and no one cares. But Matt's yes, Mike, and that's care. a bigger deal. Well, you do. But none of these people that we're talking to that Mike they ain't coming down because of me. Um, although if they want to play golf with me, I would I would auction that off. Nah, well, <laughs> well, we've got Matt. I'll find up for you at Phoenix Country Club yeah. on that. It's a very into, it's a very intimate venue. The hospitality is spectacular. The, the the weather is phenomenal. And you're going to get closer to that court than you're going to get to any court at Indian Wells, unless you're pretty good buddies with Larry Ellison or Matt Vlander. If you're not tight with one of them, you ain't getting close to the court like Johnny Levine's going to put you close to that court in Phoenix. So it's That's the Arizona right. Tennis Classic during the second week of Indian Wells. Boys, um, it's going to be a great spring season, and congratulations to Novak winning his number 22 and tying Rafael Nadal. Johnny, you are over the moon about that, I know. And congratulations to Arena Sabalenka for getting that 800-pound gorilla off of her back. Boy, was that a relief to the entire tennis world. It's going to be very exciting to go watch great tennis in the desert at both Indian Wells and in Phoenix. For Andy Zoden, Eight-time major champion, if you count his doubles, Matt's Lander, Texas Longhorn Hall of Famer, Johnny Levine. I'm Andy Zoden. This is KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Looking forward to a huge 2023.